Hello everyone, I'm Harry Dunlop, Learning Access Curator at the St Mungo Museum of Religious Life and Art, and I'm also your host of this Glasgow Museum's podcast. Welcome to our second episode of Season 2. Today it's my pleasure to be joined by Social History Curator Isabel MacDonald and Project Officer Dr Saqib Razak from Colourful Heritage, and we're chatting all things Glaswegians. It's a pleasure to have you both with us today. So, first of all, um, Saqib, if I can ask you, we're recording this podcast in the Glaswegian Asians exhibitions here at Scotland Street School Museum. Could you tell us just a little bit about the background to the the Colourful Heritage Project? Hi, good morning, Harry. Thanks for having us, both of us, here today. Yes, sure. Um, Colourful Heritage is one of the first and largest community heritage focused organisations um, that aim to capture and to celebrate the contributions of the South Asians that came to Scotland. We're talking over, you know, nearly 80 years ago. And so what we've done is, we, what we want to do is to capture and celebrate these contributions and we want to be able to inspire all parts of Scottish society by letting everyone know about this story. And that doesn't mean to say just the South Asian, but everyone else as well. Um, because I think it's really important to know how this community that came with just a few pounds in their pocket and managed to, you know, build a life for themselves. You know, we want to know about how they travelled to here, how they settled here and why they eventually um, decided to stay. Colourful Heritage have been around for almost 10 years, Mm -hmm. so this year is our 10th anniversary. Um, So it's a big happy birthday for us. We have been very busy collecting all the stories from the South Asian community but along the way we realised that you know there wasn't enough in the museums there was like an archival silence and so that's where in around about 2016 I decided to do the um, the partnership with Glasgow Museums and that's where the idea of Glaswegian Asians came about. Excellent. From the research that you've both done for the exhibition, were there any interesting or surprising stories that were uncovered? And Isabel, I'll ask you this first, what stories emerged for you that you could share with us this morning? Okay, well, one thing I did find really interesting, there's a wee section about sport and sporting heritage in the South Asian community, and the first entry there is actually a chap called Mohammed Salim, who played for Celtic in 1936, so that was a big surprise for me. And did you Had you heard of him before you started? I had not actually heard of him before I started at all, no. so that was that's, that's a real popular uh, fact to tell the youngsters, because it suddenly grasped their attention. I mean, because yeah, so many people are into football, but the backstory for him is really interesting. I hadn't realised, but in the 20s and 30s in India, um, football was seen as a bit of a challenge to British rule. This idea that um, Indians could take on the British at their own game, i.e. football, and beat them. And so they were playing in bare feet as well, and the, and the British were playing in, in big boots. But the you know the the quality of the football being played by by the Indian teams was really really good, and um, Mohammed Salim was he was playing in Calcutta and his team won I think five trophies in a row. They were a really big team, and his cousin persuaded him to come over here and pl- play in in Britain. And his cousin took him up to Celtic Park, and uh, they cornered the manager, and the manager was really wowed. So um, Mohammed played two games here two friendlies before he got really homesick and went home, even though they were trying to sign him up and say, no, no, stay for the full season or, you know. Um, so he went back home and had a, 
kept playing back anyway, home. I, I just thought that was really fascinating because yeah. there's all sorts of elements in there. It's you know. What about yourself, Siki? What kind of stories emerged for you that you that surprised you, intrigued you? Well, actually, when we were doing the research for the exhibition, um, different people were getting in touch with me to tell me all sorts of different information, but there wasn't anything really solid until one, one day I came across a family, the Usher family. So I went around and I spoke to the family. turns out that they had a medal, an MBE medal, for a gentleman called Dr. Ibrahim Ashraf. And he got this medal, I think it was around about 1965, if I'm mm-hmm. correct. And he was the first um, Pakistani Muslim who got this medal in the whole of Scotland, and we think it might be in the whole of UK. But what's interesting, again, is his backstory that he came to Glasgow as a child um, in 1936, and I think he was registered in the Allen Glen School. Oh, yeah, yeah. Allen Glen School, yeah, yeah. that's right. I don't think that exists anymore. It's up near Strathclyde University, that's where it used to be located. Right, okay. So he came there as a student, and then um, a couple of years later, that was around about 1936, and then a couple of years later, I think his father had sent him back to what was called India in those days, Mm -hmm. before partition. And then, of course, partition happened, and just before partition, he was um, enrolled at the Lylepur, which is now called Festabad Agricultural University. Mm-hmm. So he was studying, he was doing his BSc, and so we've actually got um, his matriculation card in the exhibition as well. And during partition, he had moved from the India side to Festabad, where he was studying permanently with his family. Um. From what I remember, his wife telling me, um, she's now passed away, but they'd lost a child during that journey in the truck from India to Pakistan. And then after that, he decided to just come to Glasgow. So his reason for coming here was just, you know, he just felt really unsettled. He'd migrated. um, And his father was still here as well, Atta Ashraf. And what happened when he came here, he then decided to take on, um, enrol for a PhD in Edinburgh University around about 1948. So I think he graduated in 1952. So for me, seeing his certificate and seeing that somebody in those days, you know, s- such difficult circumstances, you know, and even to come here when you're not that well well versed with the language or customs or just generally, you know, the sort of daily life, and to enrol f- to do a PhD then, you know, it just shows he was really determined. And so he finished off his PhD, and then I think he went on to do research in Gambia. So he was he worked for the British. Civil service? No. Foreign service, I think it was. That's absolutely fascinating. Yeah. I think for me, that's one of the great joys. I'm sure Isabel will agree that one of the great joys of working in museums is that it gives us a real sense of job satisfaction, actually, of the human stories, especially the hidden stories. And one of the things that we've been uncovering in these podcasts are all sorts of hidden stories, narratives that are there, but just need to, we just need to pick away a few layers and uncover these fascinating stories and very human stories about movement, about families, about love, about relationships. And that's what makes museums really fascinating. What for you has been the highlight of this um, show here? Um. To be honest, there are so many highlights, um, it'd be difficult to list just the one, but before I go on to that, um, the other really, which is probably a highlight as well, just to continue with uh, Dr. Ibrahim Ashraf, it turned out that his father also played a really important role in the community. His father was called Atta Ashraf, and it turns out he was one of the first people, I think he came to Glasgow around about 1926, which is really early on, mm. um, and 
he had managed to get a few people together and make a constitution to try for the mosques called the Jamiat Ittihad al-Muslimin or the Jamiat al-Muslimin. It was one of these two constitutions that he mm-hmm. had made. And so that was the first time he managed to get um, people together to have a constitution and then put in some money and raise some money to try and buy a property, which I think seven people contributed £100 at that time. We're talking around about the 19, late 1930s. And then they eventually bought a mosque in Oxford Street. And again, we've got a video of that mosque on the big screen. I've seen photographs of that as well. So that, that mosque was bought um, through his efforts mm-hmm. and... That was in 1944, but through his efforts, Sorry, he, he then managed to persuade the community to try and um, raise, think about having a permanent mosque as well. So he was part of a committee, and that committee then went on to deliver the central mosque, yeah. and that constitution still remains to this day, which is really fascinating because something that he thought about has now grown so much, and if you look around, not only do we have the Glasgow Central Mosque, but we have all sorts of other mosques as well. One of the things I love about the exhibition, which I think is really useful in all exhibitions, is a kind of timeline, because I think it really anchors you into the story of where you are, but also the individual stories uh, and the community stories that emerge along the kind of historical narratives. Why is this particular um, timeline important in this exhibition? I think there's been so many different events that have just not been charted and this is the first time that we've been able to gather everything and put it all into one space and I'm sure Isabel will vouch for this as well when we when we were gathering the information there were just so many things and especially for the physical timeline we were only able to take so many items and that was it and then um, other colleagues within Glasgow Museum we decided to make a digital timeline just to make sure everything else fits in which is something which will be a lasting legacy I think for the community So where can people find that um, digital um, online? Is it online? That's right. So there's a physical one in the exhibition, mm-hmm. and um, it's a really nice way to see the sort of evolution, I think, of the South Asian community right the way from when they first would have arrived. Um, well, from I think the first entry is Maharaja Dilip Singh through to um, Hamza Yusuf becoming the Justice Minister. Yes, yes. But the other way you can find it is online, is on our Colourful Heritage website under mm-hmm. the timeline tab. Mm-hmm. So that's a digital version, and Excellent. there's a lot more entries in that one. Again, because you're playing detective, you're uncovering more and more and adding as the stories emerge and as the events emerge. That's right. And so there's people getting in touch with us all the time and we filter out and then we decide what needs to go on. So, Isabel, if I can turn to you just for a second, what sort of things, what kind of objects, let's think about the objects, what kind of objects can people see um, when they come and visit the exhibition and... In those objects, are there any particular favourites that you have? Well, the exhibition has a number of themes. So we look at politics, we look at the contribution of the British Indian Army, we look at entrepreneurship and working life, and we look at um, education and schools. And the final section is social life and family and friends. So there's all sorts of objects. There's domestic objects, there's bus inspectors, uniforms, there's weapons. I mean, there's all sorts of things. So whatever you're interested in, I think there's something for everyone. But what I've discovered taking groups around is that people love the old black and white photographs. They they love the sort of family life and the things to do with weddings. Um, so I would say maybe those are my favourites because I love seeing people react and go, we used to have one of those. 
And when you come in the gallery, one of the first cases you see is about weddings and they've got some really big glitzy tinsel ornaments that, that people used to wear around their necks when you were going to a wedding. And I've had old ladies come in and go, oh, they're so old fashioned. Nobody wears those now. And I'm like... It's a museum. <laughs> we have old things. But it's just lovely to see them recognising them and knowing what they are and being able to tell me about them. Um, the other things that I really like when we were, we were looking at social life was talking to people about going to the cinema. We've, we've got a copy of a cinema poster and that's great. Again, people telling me we used to, we went to this cinema club or, or there was another one here, there was one in Govan Hill and remembering because that was such a big part of social life for the for the earlier community, I mean, not everyone's got Blu-rays now and satellite TV, but in those days, everybody went to the cinema on the Sunday morning and saw their friends and they took their kids. So that's some of my favourite things. And what about yourself, Siki? Is there any particular objects or groups of objects that have a particular resonance for yourself? I, I particularly like when I walk in and I see the entrepreneurship case because I think that tells a really nice story of how... The community first started off in business. starts off with the, the peddlers being door-to-door salesmen, then it nicely takes you through um, how they've gone on to open up other businesses, you know, restaurants, sorry, they've gone on to being part of the buses, you know, working in the transport system, opening up their shops, businesses, restaurants, carry-outs, and then finishing off with the ladies beginning to now um, contribute as well with having sewing machines at home. And then obviously opening up fabric shops, starting off at home first. And then you can see some really nice glitzy fabrics, which is always a really big hit. But one thing I would say is the photographs, like you mentioned, uh, there's a really nice image on the entrepreneurship case of some peddlers standing outside a warehouse in Gorbals. And recently we put that image on uh, our social media, on Colourful Heritage, and we got a really fantastic response of people saying... Um, some of the comments coming back, uh, a lady had written in saying that these men worked really hard, they worked long hours, really hard, and they provided a service to the community. And what they did was they sold items um, in instalments. And of course, when they paid back to their warehouse um, where they bought the items, that was also an instalment. So they were helping others and they were also being helped as well. And the lady said that this really helped some of the people rebuild their lives because you've got to remember after the World War Two, you know, that's when the majority of peddlers were getting licenses and that really helped to to rebuild their lives, I think. So that, that was a nice Again, comment. that's a really um, mm-hmm. important did anybody when you put the photograph online, did anybody recognise anybody in the photographs, for example? No, the the photograph itself was from about nineteen fifty three, so they so didn't quite, recognise that's quite young. That's no, quite early, yeah. However, we did also put up another photograph, which is not part of the exhibition, it's something that's come in recently to us about the original Shear Brothers. So there's an image yes. with all five Shear Brothers mm-hmm. in the one picture. And when we put that online, somebody had written into us saying I recognise him. He was my papa share, she said. And she said when my, myself and my husband would go into the warehouse, he would put on the kettle, sit down, have a talk with us. So it was a really nice shopping experience. And she spoke really highly of him. She said he was such a kind and nice man. That, that really touched me because you don't hear it from the outside. We only hear what, what I would know from the community yes. as opposed to somebody from outside yes. of how they felt when they went in to you know, his warehouse or his shop. So I thought that was amazing. That was something that just only came into us um, a couple of days ago as well. Now, in the course of your research, you have been looking at and uncovering some great events as part of the project. Um, 
again, Isabel, what out of these community historical events for you are particularly significant or revealing? Well, one event that we did here um, a couple of years ago now was a Banner Tales event. And the, the Banner Tales project is a wider project which gets people to talk about their experiences um, within the trade unions or the, the broader activism. So there's a banner in the politics case here and we, we just wanted to use that as a starting point to talk to people about perhaps being in the Indian Workers Association or being involved in more mainstream politics. So we, we held the event and we had a couple of speakers. We, we had Bob Chadda, who was the first Sikh Justice of the Peace and also was involved in the Labour Party and trying to get in become he eventually became a councillor actually out in North Lanarkshire and he was really entertaining he, he came over in the 60s and he was telling us about first living in Birmingham and talking about things like the impact of Enoch Powell's rivers of blood speech and then uh, talking about his life here in Glasgow and just really fascinating um, and we're actually using the information that he, he gave us, and we're going to put it in a book that's going to come out hopefully sometime this year. But that was great because lots of other people came and they were talking about their own memories, say, of being in the Indian Workers Association and how, as an organisation that organised community events, you know, it ran cinema showings, it, it, it tried to sort of work with the ladies as well so they weren't entirely isolated. So that that was... That was very interesting for me and it has had a good outcome for, for the museum service. But we've also run other sorts of events as well, you know, more community-based events with people just coming to see the exhibition. Yeah, I think recently we had, um, well, not recently, but last year, the beginning of last year we had um, the open days. We had we ran two open days mm. um, and we had people coming in that would... So they were being interviewed, but at the same time they were getting tours, there was families coming in, there was an, um, a quiz for the children. But just those people coming in, because they were seeing one another and they were talking and you know reminiscing about old times as well, especially some of the ladies. So that was a really nice event that we'd run. And I think, actually, one of the highlights for that was we had the lunch club, I think, coming from the Central Mosque and Bashir Mann himself. He was looking at his own, um, the se- we have a section of it, him um, in the exhibition, and he was looking at that and just taking it all in. And I think these kind of mm. events are amazing yeah. to highlight that, you know. Well, I'm actually glad you mentioned um, the late Bashir Mann because um, I saw the section about him in the exhibition and I knew him. Uh, I've known him for a long time and he was personally very supportive um, of projects I've worked on in the past to, to do with the South, South Asian community. But also, I think he was also really quite pioneering in gathering history stories with, and again, I, he published the book The New Scots, which was really a big thing. I mean, that was what, in the 1990s? Was right, it earlier well, than that? I don't remember the exact date. Could have been slightly earlier than that. Um, I know that the Mitchell Library hosts his um, the archive that's been donated by Colourful Heritage as well. He was Bashir truly Man a great archive. man, he really was. I, well, when I was doing some research on him, I, I realised, I'm, I'm writing a booklet for schools about politics, about the contribution of South Asians in politics, and I, f- I came across a website which listed all the various positions that he held in order of years, and what I noticed was every single year he was involved in some major position. You know, he was either chairman or vice chairman. Um, he was the deputy lieutenant for Glasgow, Lord Lieutenant, I think, deputy Lord Lieutenant for Glasgow at one point. 
obviously we know he was the first um, Muslim counsellor in the UK and I think that really projected him into all sorts of um, positions of authority in other organisations so that really helped the South Asian community and I think it also helped him progress as well. He was part of so many things. I think he ran the interpreting, the interpretation he services. Did. He did, because he used to put me in contact with people. Mm-hmm. And also, um, I was curating an exhibition called In the Shade of the Tree, which was a photographic exhibition uh, about photographs of the Islamic world from West Africa through to China that was opening at St Mungo's. And just six weeks or so before the exhibition opened up, 9-11 happened, and there was a whole load of nonsense both internal and external about this exhibition that he personally helped me navigate my way through and turned it into a brilliant exhibition um, that helped us look at a lot of the kind of stereotypes and nonsense that was being created in the media so that he was a brilliant a brilliant man and a you know and a great um, stalwart of the community that's right he kept absolutely everything there's so much to see at the archive there's photographs there's posters leaflets from his campaigns newspaper articles any invitations that he received, he kept them all. And just looking at it, you can just see how many things he would have taken part in. So that's another great way for anybody wanting to do research. And hopefully someone will write his biography one day. Yes. <laughs> the Colourful Heritage Project is ongoing, Sikib. So could you tell us a bit about some of the wartime research that I understand you've been doing? Yes, so when um, Isabel and I created the war section, we started off with quite a small section and... Um, we've now opened that up into specifically World War One exhibits and World War Two, and we did some research on some figures that have come up, and we've got a bar graph chart that shows that during World War One there was over one and a half million servicemen from from India, you know, taking up various roles that contributed to. Um, the war and also in World War Two, we discovered there was two and a half million servicemen but overall that's four million in total over the two years and we also unearthed some of the cost that India had paid something like um, I don't remember the exact figures but it's you know in its I think something like 479 million pounds for World War One and so that's something that India were paying for they're paying for a war that wasn't even there so we wanted to highlight some of these facts and also the number of Victoria Crosses 11 in World War One and 28 for World War Two so just to make it sort of real and for people to really take home a message that there was a big contribution which is often missed out in schools you know there's in fact it's not really taught at all yeah or overlooked or overlooked so um that's why we also then decided to with glasgow museums create a resource pack on this as well which has just been piloted so both unit one and unit two have been piloted in 10 schools and excellent schools but one of the other things we've, we've 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 found in our research um a couple of other things actually can you see there's n- nine graves of soldiers from Force Case 6 buried there? Now, these soldiers came from India to France and they were evacuated from Dunkirk and they eventually made their way, I think some of them went to Wales and then mm-hmm. the rest of them um, were sent to Scotland to try and train for mountain warfare training. I think it was some mad plan of Churchill for something called Operation Jupiter, to try and invade Norway. So they wanted to, anyway, they wanted to try and um, train them in this kind of warfare. So these soldiers, nine of them passed away while they were here. The rest of them eventually made their way back to India. So these graves are there, and every year we take up um, a group of people 
and do a remembrance service there. So it's just a way to make this story link in with Glasgow and make it very Scotland specific. Yeah. Um, I think that's very appropriate. Are they marked graves? Yeah. They're marked graves, yeah, yes. They're good. taken over by the Commonwealth yes. Graves Commission now, but before that, uh, Lady Commissary Isabel Harling used to look after them. And she's been doing this for about nearly 60-odd-plus years, and now her granddaughter's got that honour to do that. So it's just really remarkable to see yeah. to see her. And I think these kind of stories, when they get unearthed, are yep. amazing. And one of the other things we unearthed, um, which is a very Glasgow-specific story, is the story of Gyan Singh, who won a Victoria Cross during World War Two, And we discovered that his son lives in Glasgow. So we were able to then get an image of that Victoria Cross and I think Isabel managed to get some of the footage for when he was honoured, when he was in his um, still in India. There were some celebrations when they found out he mm-hmm. was getting the Victoria Cross. So we've got a nice image of him as well, standing next to Khudadad Khan, who was the Victoria Cross winner for, for in World War One. I. I think every two years there was a reunion for these recipients. Um, and it would be in Buckingham Palace or mm-hmm. nearby somewhere. What about yourself, Isabel? Any particular objects relating to the wartime story? Oh, I was quite surprised what we had in the collections, ah. and um, particularly relating to World War One. We've we've actually got. I mean, Saku was just talking about the contribution of of India as a nation, and I mean, I hadn't realised that there were munitions factories in India churning out these regulation shells that the, the whole of the British Army and the British Indian Army used. And so we, they were making munitions to then send off, um, I think mostly to the troops, the Indian troops who were fighting in Mesopotamia uh, or modern-day Iraq um, and North Africa. But So that was really interesting. I think, I think the reason we have it is that somebody who was working in that factory was, was, was given one of the first shells that came off the production line and he, he brought it back when he returned to Scotland. So that was a bit of a surprise. To be We've honest. also got some, some lovely artworks and one of the images that's in the exhibition shows um, troops in North Africa in World War II who were fighting, fighting Rommel and uh, the German troops out there and uh, I think... So, I mean, it's a lovely um, watercolour showing them receiving some sort of training or um, information about what was going to happen in the next, you know, the next part of the campaign they're in. And those troops, I think, once they had um, succeeded their missions in North Africa, they then moved on to liberate Italy. So there's a, a really interesting backstory about the, the fact that South Asian troops were fighting in Europe, both in World War One and World War Two, and were really you know, crucial in some significant campaigns. Mm. You talk, you spoke about collecting there. Um, mm. How many objects, roughly, in the exhibition came from our existing Glasgow Museum's collection, and what is there a pro, is there a program of actively collecting for the permanent collection from this this exhibition? I couldn't really give you the exact numbers. I think the exhibition is quite rich in objects. To be honest, there's quite a lot packed in there, but. A fair number of things that are loans in, either um, from colourful heritage themselves or from members of the community that colourful heritage um, got us in contact with. So, and I think that's great to have those loans in because they really filled some gaps for us. You know, one aim of the exhibition really is to increase what we hold. And we've had a few donations from people who've heard about the exhibition. We got some lovely photographs last year from. 
a lady whose father also moved here before World War Two, and he he went to school here. I, I'm not sure he may have gone to Allen Glens as well. I need to do some more research about that. So um, I was really pleased when she offered us those photographs. Wonderful. But, but we need to do more, and I am really hoping to start. Well, actually, I'm going to go out in the next few weeks and just buy some odds and ends from local shops relating to to South Asian cooking, actually. I want to get a tawa and some other bits and bobs, and then I want to maybe just start asking people, well, what would we've bought this, but what do you think we should also get? And, and I hope that will really help. Just I'd like to collect everyday items. Mm. Yeah. I have a final question um, for Saqib. Um, I think this is a fantastic exhibition, a fantastic resource. Um, what lessons do you think this exhibition, this project, could teach other migrant communities, perhaps newer migrant communities, who have arrived in Glasgow over the last 20-odd years? I think, it, especially when you look at the timeline, you know, you can see where we've, how we've progressed and where we've got, got to nowadays. You, know, you can see that we've built our first purpose-built malls. You can see that we've entered politics. And I think it's just, it shows that it takes time can't rush these things and also as a community you know we've had to work together we, we, it's not something that was achieved just by by ourselves I think it's with the support of not just the South Asian community but also the host community you know you can see um, when Bashir Man was elected he was not given votes by the Asian community it was other people so I think it's giving people that time and having that trust in them and acceptance that's one of the key messages the wonderful Glaswegian Asians exhibition is at Scotland Street School Museum and is free. You can check out the Colourful Heritage Project at their website, www.colourfulheritage.com. Well, that's all we have time for today on the Glasgow Museum's podcast. Please remember to check us out on all our social media channels if you haven't already done so. You can use the hashtag GMPodcast to keep this conversation going. If you like what you've heard today, find us on Apple, Spotify and Google Podcasts and on SoundCloud too. So please listen, like and subscribe. Until next time, I've been Harry Dunlop and this has been the Glasgow Museums Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Till next time. <laughs>